1: Welcome to this podcast, which is an abridged version of the television interview that I did with Anna Friel as part of my In Conversation
2: series for W. This podcast is brought to you by UKTV Play, the free on-demand service.
1: Tonight, I'm going to be in conversation with an actress who at the age of 16 was at the centre of one of the most dramatic storylines in British soap history. It involved domestic violence. Murder, and a moment that even made it to the opening ceremony of the 2012 Olympics. She then went to America where she received awards for her performances on Broadway and was even nominated for the Golden Globe and has recently returned home to star in the ITV drama Marcella. Tonight, I'll be in conversation with Anna Friel. <laughs> Anna. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I know you, you don't, you haven't really done many interviews like this, have you? You don't normally do.
3: I don't. I i, th- I did um, Jonathan Ross and Graham Norton, I think when I was really little or young. I did uh, the, what was it, Clive Anderson? Yeah. And I, th- I think I was nervous before and had like a shot of tequila and then made a fool out of myself. and <laughs> <It> was like, <laughs> yeah, I won't be doing that again. <laughs> so um, I don't, I think it's always with interviews, there's no... Character to hide behind I've not got a script and and I don't believe in washing your dirty laundry in public Um, And I think to protect your family and to keep a bit of mystique is what kind of maybe keeps people interested
1: rather than letting everybody know everything about you, which I'm just about to do now. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it a difficult balance to strike when you have to be recognised, etc. You know, your job means that you're recognised and it means that people have a perception about you, but also you have to protect that bit that, on screen, you've got to be completely different people when you're playing a character. Yeah. It is something that I always find must be challenging for you. How much do you allow... The fame and celebrity to get in the way of the work that you need because to do. Because
3: one feeds each other. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's a fine line that you walk. I think it changed for me once I became a mother and you protect your your child. And I also th- I think because I was so open, because it was so rarely that i get interviewed and I would just talk completely openly and, when, and read them things the next day that had been taken completely out of context. So I thought, well, I'm not going to do that again.
1: You've now been, I suppose... At the forefront of it since the age of sixteen, and I know GBH. You know, you were thirteen in GBH. But what made you? One of that.
3: I think it was a way of being able to communicate for other people's eyes. I was I've always been quite compassionate or empathetic. I hated any sense of bullying so I was a bit bullied myself, um, and I would always protect my my who even if I didn't know them. Um, and I found that was a way to be someone else. I also found it because I I sang. And I was in all the school choir and was often given solos and things and it was the, perf- the even though the performing at the actual performing made me nervous and scared. I just found it a brilliant way of, of a form of
1: expression. And your dad's musical, isn't it? My dad's
3: a brilliant. Yeah, he's a, a fantastic and very fine guitarist and singer songwriter. I'm from Ireland, so a lot of our childhood was. I was born in Rochdale, and then all the holidays were uh, in Ireland or in France.
1: Why did he, Why did he end up in Rochdale? What was because my
3: my grandparents on my mum's side are from there, and I grew up in a place called Bamford in Rochdale.
1: Because that's something that you that you. I've seen in your interviews and stuff, you are proud of the fact that you've come from there. It's never been something that you've ever pretended isn't part of your heritage.
3: No, absolutely. I'm really proud of it. I think accents just do change as you develop, because I've spent more time down south than I have up north, but I'll still say bath and mum, all those guttural vowels. I'd find it quite odd, unless I was was playing another character, to say bath and grass and love Mm. and the F word. Um, It wouldn't sound quite the same in our northern accent. I remember when I first came to London, my agent at the time said, well, obviously you've got to lose that accent because that won't get you very far. I said, well, what what do you mean? I said, when when I'm on set and to play different characters, I said, of of course, I'm going to pride myself on being good at my accents. He said, no, no, in general, you won't be taken that seriously having that that accent. And I I remember for about two or three phone calls of talking to mum and saying bath instead of "Bath." She just said, "What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you talking like that?" I don't. I don't know. I'm not talking any differently at all. What yeah. do you mean? You know, and Mum would say, "And and and I said, 'No, I'm going to make sure that it, that should not be the case. It shouldn't. Dry, it should, that's not how we should be judged.'" Um, and my brother the same. He wanted to be a pilot and was told, "Well, you won't be able to have a." A northern accent. You never really hear that on a plane, do you? And ladies and gentlemen, uh, in ten minutes <laughs> we
1: will be approaching Heathrow. Heathrow, you know? yeah. I'd love that. I would love. I would love one day a pilot to sound like me. Yeah. Go, all right, everyone.
3: All right. We're off for a bit. Yeah, if you got clear. your duty
1: free. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how would you describe your childhood and watch I'd say uh, it was it
3: was happy, it was Freak. but i had i had opportunities we had this wonderful theater workshop which um i don't know if it would be a if he, if it passed today because the director of it was so wonderful but he would swear, he'd swear at you and say that's really beep it rubbish if it wasn't if if it, if you didn't if you hadn't learnt your lines or you didn't put your heart into it and it was it was it was tough and it was hard and you had to you know, I, I, I'm not really going to go into it. because I'm a victim. I was bullied. But I was uh, for a little bit of it, and um, going home to mum and bullied, dad. Uh, uh, like, what, as in uh, never, in school, ever, never, yeah, or, never, never punched, never hurt, but just always called, like, just called names. Or maybe because I spent time away, and I stuck with my group of friends. And I come home, and mum and dad would say, "Do you want to? You know, if you know, if it ever gets too much, we'll come in and we'll talk to the teachers." But I didn't want to be separated really from everybody else, and I, and they said, but it will always be better if you can handle it by yourself, and um, I did. When you're
1: talking about your, your accent, mm. it was probably an asset to you when you first broke through because GBH was based in, in the, north. the north.
3: Yeah, Well, because oh, the casting directors came from the south to cast uh, in the north because they wanted authentic kids, and I auditioned five or six times for GBH at the time. Because you... When you went, it wasn't like being sent to a theatre school. It was improvisation, so you've got to think very quickly. And uh, I auditioned, and it was about five times that I auditioned, and then I got the part. Um, And it was the very first audition I I went for, and I played Michael Palin's daughter and then met Julie. We don't have any scenes with Julie Walters, but I remember just seeing her from afar and and always talking about um, her pea soup. She liked her pea soup, and she'd taken time as an adult to... Come over and and speak and spend time and ask me how it was and I always I remember that forever and you are what you practice what you preach and so I'm always uh, take care of now I'm playing mothers all the time to be respectful of of other children
1: and you know for for a 13 year old I watched a couple of episodes of GB8 and I completely forgot how powerful it is it resonates today It's an Alan Bleasdale yeah
3: where's where again a Liverpool so many amazing people came from Liverpool.
1: And, it, and it's all about local politician and the, the, the corruption and, 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 you know, Michael Palin becomes a target as as somebody who stood against this uh, this politician. Now, for you to play his daughter within all of that, what was going on, did you have any understanding of the message of the script or at that age, are you just saying, oh, it's OK, I've got these little bits and forget the rest of it?
3: Mum and Dad had read them to make sure that the material is it was appropriate and... I remember him just saying, this is really powerful and what amazing writing, amazing writing. Did he understand the whole of it? Probably not at that age. Yeah. I I remember uh, trying, the the hardest thing was having to do a scene chasing him, running down the hill naked, completely naked, and and Dervler, who played the mother at the time, just said don't worry, just think of uh, waggling willies in the wind. and it'll It's <laughs> made it ten times worse. Not, I'm running down, What you can think is this, like this. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. I mean, no, he was, he was the one of the, the... He was amazing. I remember he still... Um, not now, I've seen him since, but for about four years later, he would always, always write um, a postcard to me and make sure that I was doing all right.
1: At 16, you go into Brookside... Mm-hmm. Uh, and the storylines, th- when you when you went into Brookside did anyone say look this no. is this is the family you're going into this is the storyline you're going into
3: um this they, they said about Brian the first contract so I did like sixty months in total was three and a half months and it was um Brian Murray who was, oh. who was going to be the the father and they said we're going to deal with domestic abuse um and But they didn't know about burying under the patio or how far it was going to go. But they'd had to talk to my parents saying that this is quite a lot, this is difficult yeah. material. Um, and I'd just turned 16, so I'd left, I left I'd done half, I was on the, the, the youngest in the year. So I'd done um, half a year of 5A levels at a, at a, a college of nuns. So I went to a Church of England school and then a Catholic college. And it got... I, I say about the nuns, because after the lesbian case, I remember the, the nuns got a call asking if I'd had an affair with any of them. No way. <laughs> <swear to> God. <laughs> like, literally. Who phoned up? I don't know. Someone in the press had actually called saying... Had, I, don't, they were, they, I don't know if it was they'd contacted the nuns or someone within the school, because it was the father, this was my drama teacher, and this was this, and saying... What can you tell us the sexual history? What was going on? Did she have relationships with women? Um, which is so ridiculous.
1: No, I, but, I did but, like, but also that, that aspect of, of your character
0: mm-hmm.
1: came after what I think is the more dramatic storyline domestic violence. Did you feel a sense of responsibility that you were portraying something that you don't see on British television and was actually probably in the dark corners yeah, of because, society? Yeah,
3: because the, the turnaround was so quick. Um, that meaning from when we shot it to when it was aired, um, we would get responses back very quickly. And suddenly, from having I don't know twenty, thirty letters a week of asking for a photograph, it suddenly went to two, three hundred saying help, help, and to the point that I, I was just re- I was staying up all night I have to read after. To- Studying my lines for the next day, and said, "Mom and Dad, you've you've got to help. We've got to do something. All these people, it's re- it's they're really being affected for it. It's not just a, a job. We're not just acting." Um, and I remember going to the producers to saying exactly that, and we 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 got counselling ourselves in order to help others. But there's no way you could keep up individually to each person.
1: The the lesbian case became iconic for a number of reasons. I mean, it became part of the Olymp... And, and
3: the 90s Brit poppy thing, but exactly. Yeah,
1: the- significant on so many levels in popular culture, and as we said, it was used in the Olympics, of 2012 opening ceremony to yeah. symbolise tolerance, I guess.
3: Yeah, it was a huge shock.
1: And you didn't know that was going to happen? The kiss? Yeah.
3: Absolutely not. We had, we had no idea. When Mal Young called me, I don't, think, I don't even know if they did. I knew that Phil Redmond had an idea that they wanted to look into... A, two girls potentially being in love and i remember going into his office and him saying right would you want to do this and i would had a few days to, to process it and said as long as it doesn't look like that she's become a lesbian because she was because a domestic she was domestic yeah. she was sexually abused and a victim of domestic violence i said because it can't be something that happens because something's wrong with you and um I don't know why I was savvy enough to understand it at that time. say yes. so once, That's if you if you if you bring yeah. it in, if you bring that whole world in, she has to always be uh, a lesbian. It's not just a, a passing, shocking phase. And perhaps why i I think it's t- when I read things back, it's as if I'm defensive about soap. So because I, I don't put Brookside in the same category of, of what no. soap was at that time. It was. It, it was, um, and I actually didn't watch it to be honest. I would, I was a Curry watcher, and I was like Brookside. I think I've, that's the Channel Four thing, yeah. and um, and I'd watched a few episodes. And just the subjects that they dealt with at the time were, were very very different to what, every, what everybody else was doing.
2: This podcast is sponsored by UK TV Play, the free on demand service where you can watch the TV shows you love from Dave, Yesterday, Really, and Drama wherever you want, whenever you want the home of BAFTA-nominated series Taskmaster and the critically acclaimed Red Dwarf, alongside other UK TV Play exclusive including The White Princess and Most Haunted. UK TV Play offers free access to thousands of hours of comedy, drama, documentaries and paranormal TV, all for free.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.
3: Post your free
2: job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
1: You're 16. You're, you've become somebody that people relate to via domestic violence. Mm. Then you become somebody that people relate to because there are confused about the sexuality or confirmed about the sexuality and don't know where to go to it. That, on the journey between 16 and 17 and a half, is a huge burden to carry, I would have thought. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily like you were carrying it around like a heavy sack, but all of a sudden you've become significant as a person in the eyes of other people, rather than just an actress saying a few lies.
3: I don't think I'd realised it until afterwards. It was maybe looking back, because towards the end, and I, I remember being asked by so many d- different uh, news entities of please tell us what happened because I don't remember... Do you remember what happened? It was suddenly quite yeah. a, a dr- dramatic end. It's like, where's Beth? There was no end. And I'd, I think I'd got a little bit overworked and I'd banged my head on a camera one day. Like, I'd lifted up and whacked my head and, and I was I'd, I thought I must have had a concussion but managed to get home. And I said, oh, Mum, I really... I'm not feeling very well. I think I've got to go and... Um, Lie down for for a bit. and feel awful, and within about thirty minutes, I started actually having proper fits, like going like like this. And um, they took me to the hospital, and they all thought, "Oh my God, it's a brain clot, or it's something, it's something going to be something really serious." And it, they said, "You've got to get back to work." It kind of stopped after a week, and I went back, and and then it happened again. And it was not until I'd seen about the eighth doctor, and they just said look you it's like your your body is shut we've done every brain scan everything's fine it's like your body's shutting down because your your brain won't because you're over you're overworked they said right. you have to stop for about 3 or 4 weeks and i then maybe had time to assess and the next contract was coming up and thinking what else can we do with beth we've we've done everything in this 16 months and is it right to carry on at that pace and at that level at such a young age and i think my mum and dad stepped in at that point and said no, that's too much, and and when it was going to, you know, think about cost of my health. See, and this is why I said, why don't do interviews? Because now I look like, like it's poor me, and it wasn't poor well, me. But, but, it was lucky, 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 yeah, lucky yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, but you're a
1: 16-year-old 16 16 working 14-hour days, but outside of your job... Yeah, you're then, you're that the, you're, yeah but you're then getting this...
3: And then yeah, I didn't really have much of a, of a private life or time, and there was that. And then they'd asked me to sign another longer contract, and I said um, I won't. I said I'll finish this three the three months. I think I think I'm I'm going to stop then, and they went like real. They were really really mad at me. They said, "Are you absolutely out of your mind? You'll never work again. This is the biggest uh, character that's ever yeah. been." And I said, "No, I have to." And I. Left the studio from the office and never said goodbye to one person ever. I never ever said goodbye
1: to didn't, all those characters. Well, they never allowed you to? Or
3: they get your things and leave. Really? And I, and I didn't even finish. I didn't even finish the scene. I said, but we've got, all, we're shooting the scene. We've got all these things to shoot. What do you, what do you mean? And they said, well, if you're not going to sign the contract and you're not going to stay, then go. And and so after all of that, I was like, oh my god, I've got that's that's, that's a that's a bit of a what did head that, fuck w- at that time. What did that teach you about the industry? That it's that cutthroat and to be very, very, very careful and you can be replaced like that. I remember then three weeks later then calling and saying, look, you've got to come back to make the story make sense, whether they acted on on an impulse, I don't know. And I I said no. And I knew then that they could sue me and I said, take every penny I've got, I've got to keep some kind of pride. And I vowed that I wouldn't work until I got a role in film and so I could break the best thing, and I knew, to, knew that then there needed to exist an Anna Freel. And I also needed to have some fun and levity. I was not even 18, I was 17 and a half, and then met some great friends, came to London.
1: Oh, before that, we had the Darren Day experience, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, <and> <laughs> <laughs> How would you summarise the Darren Day experience?
3: Uh, well, because it was just all so innocent, wasn't it? he? Didn't, he didn't drink, there was no, uh, no, there was no drugs, he was playing Joseph, he lived in London. I went down to London and saw him, that's towards the end of the Brookside days. And then I remember, I, I, I was doing a film at that point, I was doing Land Girls. Darren had called me up and said, listen, I don't think... Uh, if this is going to work because you're doing movies now and you're into a different thing and you've moved away. And I was like, I know, we never get to see each other. I get it, I get it. And um, But it was private and I had my own little sadness, but I was working and I had to get on with the job, as you do. And um, someone had patted me on the back at work, going, You're right, you're right, thought so I was like, Yeah, I'm doing all right. How, how are you doing? Why is everyone asking me if I'm okay? And I looked down at the newspapers just before I'm paying for my lunch and There was Darren on the front cover of the paper with um, the girlfriend saying, I've never felt love like this before. And she was wearing my dress. Oh my God. So Probably. he's totally forgiven now and I'm not breaking up things and I haven't got resentment and I'm not one of those people. He was really good to me at that time. He just wasn't particularly good at the, for that, that point I and mean, it was like, oh, my God. And I think there'd been... Now I can, It's funny when you look back, you can see how the press actually does work yeah. and, and then looking back and seeing that it was because if he hadn't done that story, they would have said, you know... I, I don't know, they'd made some kind of deal, however those
1: Do deals get made. you would have got a picture with him wearing the dress. <laughs> That would have been that would have been better. But that's what I mean. You come out of Brookside, and you're 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 then a celebrity, and then as you say, you you, you yourself become a tabloid target. Start going out with Darren Day, and everything that falls out of that.
3: Because of the Darren story and stuff. Because it was like I became tabloid fodder. And again, that's why I don't do interviews like that. Because I didn't. I really didn't want to be that. I never asked for that. I, was, I wanted to be taken seriously, and with if he, I, so what does she do to be taken seriously? Things are
1: completely my fault. I had some fun and went out a few times. No, what, what do you mean? Why, why are you saying it's your fault? You're 18. Oh. You're just going out, aren't you?
3: I know, but they're just... Uh, cause I, uh,
1: I don't
3: know, you have to ask me questions rather than me just bring it up and ramble br- on.
1: No, because... I... No. <laughs> <laughs> it interests me a lot, really, when we get a guest on who was famous young mm. because it didn't happen to me till late. How old were you? God, well, I'll be honest, I I didn't start doing stand-up till I was nearly 35. I didn't leave my job till I was 40. And and I I think I probably broke through when I was about 45.
3: Wow. What would have happened if you'd broken through um, at the age I did?
1: I'd have done loads of drugs and hookers. (laughs) Without any shadow of a doubt. Because I can't understand <laughs> how you wouldn't. You know, like, like when... I when, went to lots of Oasis
0: gigs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you
1: know, when you're, when you're 18 and, and everything's in front of you and just a glimpse of this world that you get sometimes where you get famous celebrity and you get money and you get access and you get people, people always saying yes to you it 's very difficult to not lose yourself now, as a man who's married with three kids when it happened to me mm-hmm. I, had, I had an anchor hold me down, but as as a teenage girl, and particularly for you as a teenage girl who was already via the storyline that you 've done seeing to an extent, I suppose as a sexualized person you 've mm-hmm. done a, a storyline about being. Lesbian, you've done a storyline about being a strong person, and I
3: didn't say no to a lads mag.
1: Yeah, you didn't say no to a lads mag, you know, on the, the the cover of FHM and all of those.
3: And that was about fighting for Anna to go look. It won't say Beth; it might say Anne or Beth from but it'll say Anna.
1: So all of those days, though, you 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 you're talking as obviously there's the tabloid pressure, but there must have been fun as well.
3: Of course there was loads of fun I went to I went to Broadway at 22 so I lived in New York for nine months I'd auditioned for it was a play called closer so I auditioned for it um in 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 London and Patrick Marber the writer and director um said that he didn't think that I was ripe enough I remember those being his words
1: ripe enough he says that but Jack Nicholson said after coming to see her I'm not going to rest until I sleep with her (laughs) so he must have thought you were ripe (laughs) enough
3: (laughs) I think they might have had different ideas of what the, the, the oh, connotation right. of right was. <laughs> yeah. Right, right no. I think, he, uh, world, worldly enough. And then I auditioned again in New York well, just, and he said, now you're ready.
1: Just to explain, that the, the play Closer is an interrelationship between two couples who basically all fall in love with each other in a really complicated way. But again, yep. it's a very expressive, sexualized part. You've got to be a strong person to do it. Yeah. And and it was massive for you. You won awards for it. You got a lot of critical acclaim.
3: Mm-hmm. And no-one had ever seen Brookside no. or heard of any love relationship of Robbie or Darren. I, I got recognised just as the as the performer, performer- Anna. Yeah, yeah. With no history, nobody knowing anything about me.
1: Was that important to you at that time? Because, was- as you say, you got caught up. you have gone out with Robbie Williams, gone out with Davin Day, there have been the tabloid interest, there'd been all that. For you, do you think you could have... Extracted yourself from that in the UK? Did you have to go to America to do
3: it? Yeah, I was just really embraced and welcomed. There was that—that that was it, and I felt really honoured about that. That there was a country that knew nothing about me, and a they gave me the chance, and because right. I had no—I'd never ever been on a stage before—and they put me on Broadway, which is for most actors it's their dream for American actors maybe to be on West End, and to do and to to get that. That role was massive and I was convinced I was going to fail but then convinced myself that I was going to succeed, I had to, and was really, really, really well
1: received. But to be fair with your career, you have had roles where you've been brave in terms of the sexual content, right from Brookside to the tribe... Mm-hmm. Um, you mean naked? Yeah, naked, but, you know, the tribe, there was the menage a trois, there was the play Lulu, where you played mm-hmm. Nevermanac. where you do uh, breakfast... <laughs> from a the
3: theme t- I'm, I'm Yeah, finding. yeah, but
1: you do breakfast from Tiffany's on stage where there's an added scene in where you're naked. And what I mean is... That's in the book, though. Yeah, but it wasn't in the film, <laughs> yeah. so so anyone coming t- to see the stage play would have seen something different. For you, as a as a as a person that's got a... You can remove your own insecurities as a person and go, that's not me, I'm being an, an, an actress now. And it's the actress that's got the confidence, not me. As a person, you've got to have a, a fair degree of self-confidence and a fair degree of being happy in your own skin to do that. Or can you just completely forget this is not me, this is not Anna Freel and Anna Freel's body? I, I, th-
3: I think, again, it's completely individual. I've not got an issue with nudity. I've, I have less of a... Issue with nudity if I've been at the gym four times a week and I haven't got a bad back or something, Uh, and and if I have a a good a good diet, I look after myself. Um, But we've always been open in our family. I think it's how it's addressed to you, in nakedness is introduced to you as as a child. I mean, how do you feel about
1: about nudity? Well, the problem I've got is I've got a massive penis, and it just (laughs) (laughs) it just gets. It just takes the attention away (laughs) 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 Interviewing
3: me now, did you have to choose a side? Which side should I put it on as I talk to Anna? Any time
1: anyone said to me, do you want to do a naked see anything? No, it'll just, that'll be the only thing they look at, and it's me face I want them to see. (laughs)
3: Have have you ever been naked on stage? Has anyone but your wife seen you naked?
1: Uh, anyone but me wife, listen, I don't want to break any illusions, but I wasn't a virgin when I married her. <laughs> and I used to play a lot of football. So, uh, yeah, a few people have seen me naked, but. But, but not no, an audience? Not an audience. Now, I've done, you know, I've
3: and done. And would you, as part of a sketch, say so if I offered you an amazing gig, but it involved nudity, would you
1: do it? That's a good question. Would I do it? I probably would. But, Full frontal but, or just bum? But the problem is, I've now said I've got a massive penis. <laughs> and... <laughs> and that illusion, that illusion <laughs> can remain until I do the sketch. <laughs> and then I'll have to say, oh, it's that cold, it, ain't, it ain't. <laughs>
3: Little
1: does he know the petition starts at the door <laughs> on the way out, ladies and gentlemen. No, but you know what? The, the The reality is, I've done I've done small pieces of acting, and there's been a few pieces of acting where you've had to take your shirts off and something, and, and it, it it's fleeting. But I've never been placed in a position where you go right for this character's storyline, mm-hmm. this sexual scene is essential, or this bit where they get undressed in front of the mirror is important. It's the bit where you, as an actress, look at it and go. Actually, I don't think that's important.
3: De- definitely, I, I remember with pushing. I remember with pushing daisies. It's abs- it, just because I've not got a problem with nudity, doesn't mean I'll always not have a problem with nudity, or doesn't mean it, 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 that people can think, "Oh, she'll get undressed." We'll put that in the, in the um, yeah. into the script. If anything's ever gratuitous or salacious, it will be questioned, or I won't do it. Um, and even down to, to costumes. I remember with with Pushing Daisies, there were notes that came back about sometime about maybe lowering the, the, the line so you could, you know, to be more, more cleavage. And I, I said, well, I don't, I don't think it needs that to be sexy. Sometimes a little waist can be sexy yeah. or a back can be sexy or the, the leg, it, it, it's, it's, it's whatever's right for a character.
1: The opening scene of uh, the drama that you did on ITV, Marcella, uh uh-huh. That, I have to say, in terms of dramatic moments, mm. is the most gripping first 20 seconds of any drama because I was hooked straight away from that. Yeah,
3: because uh, of the thriller
1: aspect. Because of the thriller aspect, because of what's going on. And, and, and also, again, the reason we've moved on from that is because you talk about, you know, your body being important and so when it's right to be naked and when it's not. You're, you're sat in the bath. Wondering what on earth's gone on.
3: Yeah, I think at one point you you could maybe see the side of a nipple, and they put they superimposed the steam on the mirror yeah. so that you couldn't because there was no need for that; and it would take you out of the story. And then, and I talked about when when she's at work, and we'd looked, talked a lot about her costume. Is that if you're someone whose husband has just left you. You don't know whether you've murdered someone. Yeah. The last thing you're going to be thinking about is being sexy. And if you notice, all the rest of the co- all the rest she of the time, she's got she wears a parker. She that's not, but she, but she's, everything's up, to, up yeah. to here. There's no, there's there's no openness. There's no skin showing apart from when she's at home and the one time she makes love to her her, um, her husband oh, at God. the time. And so that's a, a good use of it, I think.
1: Yeah, but that, that scene for for people who don't know the story, yeah. you're at that point. You're in the bath wondering what's going on because yeah. your character uh, goes back to the police and has blackouts.
3: She has something, this is a real um, syndrome called dis- dissociative fugue attacks. And um, they've done studies in a, lo- in a lot of prisons when criminals can't or conv- they've been conv- convicted. Um, of, of, of doing these crimes of which they can't remember, and it's been more recognised now as a, as a, a, a mental illness. And you have blackouts, and you don't—they can last for um, minutes, they can last for hours, and some, in some cases they can last for days. And so she doesn't know actually what has unfolded and what she's done. But I like the fact that she's, a, she's an, anti, an anti-heroine. Would you, call, would you call her? Yeah. We, we like—it's we, it, not—it's all, right, it's all right if she's a bit bad. She's not completely pure yeah. and good. It's the circumstances she's found herself in.
1: So away from the acting, have you got anything else coming up?
3: Um, I just got my first documentary commissioned by Channel 4 because the other part of my life was I felt I wanted to give something back uh, and that's been through my work with the WWF and, for which I was made an ambassador and I'm going to Borneo because we released five orangutans back into the wild and to film a documentary about this sanctuary that rehabilitates the orangutan.
1: Have you ever experienced anything like it? Because I know when I went to Rwanda and I was in amongst a family of of mountain grillers and you're, you're, you're with things that are amongst the few left on earth, it's very hard to put into words how you feel, isn't it? Yeah,
3: because you you, f- you feel such a sense of responsibility and because at that point, we didn't know if their habitat was going to be destroyed. We didn't know that they were possibly you know, going to take on an oil company and win... They might not exist. You look at the facts and figures. Since I was born, the population of wildlife is down by 58% since 1976. And by 2020, I hope I've got my numbers right, but I think by 2020 it will be 68%. And if that's just going to... So eventually we could have a world with no elephants, no big cats, no gorillas, no orangutan. Who are we to... Get rid of them. Who are we to say that we're the most important thing? They've been here longer than
1: us. Serve so trees. Very simple, isn't it? If you so even...
3: complicated. No, but it's it very simple, simple,
1: though, isn't it? If you don't look after the world, where else you gonna live?
3: Well, all these politics. What's the point of having politics if there's no world to have them in?
1: Yeah, well, that... but we got Donald Trump. So ultimately, that doesn't, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, ultimately oh, that doesn't help, like... does it? You know what? That just shows democracy works as long as people aren't stupid.
3: <laughs> I'm, it's, that, that's such a big one I'm not going to comment other than no, to say every morning, every, morning. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, every time we have a guest on we ask them to, to bring a photograph that, that, that's personal and pertinent to them and important an important yeah. picture uh, this is the picture that you've brought
3: my dad looks like Kevin Keegan <laughs> <laughs> look that's not a perm that's real I'm four years old that was our rocking chair I have that in my bedroom. My papa is, and my mama too. I hate when I say about if I just pinpoint my daddy, but as far as a role model of who, what a man should be and could be, and what a love is between a father and a daughter, he is that. He's given up everything for us, and um, I'll cry. Um, I think that's my biggest fear in the in the in the world is losing my parents. I don't know. That's the one thing that I've I've got to. I don't know study meditation, quick, fast, because that's going to be the the biggest challenge of my life, which I'm sure it is for most people. But I'm I'm lucky enough to have an incredible relationship with my parents, and they've always been there, and I can talk to them as friends. And I want Gracie to have the same open relationship with me as I have with him. And that was just that I just loved that photograph. I love the the pride in his in in his eyes, and I love the big smile that I have sitting on my on my dad's knee.
1: And do you think you could have? been the person that you are without that, without that love. I don't See, I mean to No, <laughs>
3: never.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, I think that's an appropriate way to say <laughs> that's been a wonderful conversation. Please put your hands together for Anna Field. <laughs>
2: This podcast was brought to you by UKTV Play, the free on-demand service.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh